There is one moment in the movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where a rhinoceros charges at the White Witch during the climactic battle. Before the rhinoceros gets to the witch, a little gremlin with short swords cuts off the charging rhino at the ankles, causing it to crash uselessly to the ground. Often when writing a book, we're like that charging rhino. We're so focused on the writing that we don't see the little gremlins that can cut us off from success. Helping you spot those gremlins is what this show is all about. Sometimes the gremlins are marketing challenges and sometimes they are business related. Ignoring the business side of writing is like ignoring a dirty diaper. It doesn't make it go away. In fact, it makes it Worse, as the father of three children aged three and under, I don't have a lot of parenting advice to give, but I can say with confidence that if a diaper needs to be changed, it needs to be changed now. So what are the common business mistakes that trip up authors? What are the things that torpedo authors' careers before they get started? Find out in this episode of Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and make a difference with writing worth talking about. Now, before I get into the specific mistakes that authors make, I have an announcement. June 2022 is Patron Appreciation Month. I have a special gift for patrons this month. It's my course, The Tax and Business Guide for Authors. This is a special course that I recorded with my dad, Tom Umstead, CPA. He's been helping authors with taxes for over 35 years. He's the kind of CPA the other CPAs go to when they have questions, especially if it has to do with authors, publishing, or the entertainment industry. And this course normally sells for $99, but all novel marketing patrons get this course for free. If you're not a patron and you become a patron in the month of June 2022, you will also get the course for free. It's my way of saying thank you for supporting the show. Now, not only that, but we're also hosting for this month's patron-only Q&A episode. My dad's going to join us. So my dad, the CPA, will be there for the live patrons-only Q&A. So if you have a tax question or a business question, this will be your chance to get it answered uh, by an actual CPA who works with authors. And again, completely free for all patrons. So if you'd like to become a patron, it costs as little as $4 a month, and the course is yours to keep regardless of how long you stay on as a patron. So yes, if you wanted, you could join, become a patron, and cancel right away and keep the course. But my hope is is that you find the Novel Marketing Podcast helpful, and my hope is that you like the other perks that patrons get, like the bonus uh, live episode every month. And I hope that you will want to continue supporting the podcast, but you don't have to. (laughs) It's free for all patrons, regardless of how long you've been a patron. And if you would like to become a patron of the podcast, you can do so at authormedia.com slash patron. Okay, so let's get to the mistakes. Mistake number one is ignoring taxes, business, and paperwork more generally. Uh, To have a career as an author, you've got to be an adult about the money. There's just no other way around it. Now, some authors insist on acting like artists who don't care about the money. And invariably, these authors get terribly taken advantage of. And the most tragic thing is that not only do they lose the money, but they also often lose the power and influence associated with the money, which 
ends up having a negative impact on their art. By ignoring the business side, they often lose control over the artistic side. So the authors who don't care about money and only focus on the art end up having neither the art nor the money. You've got to be an adult if you want people to take you seriously. And how this works is that there are unscrupulous people in the industry, and they'll tell you exactly what you want to hear. They will say, your book is amazing. You are amazing. I'm going to make you a star. (laughs) We're going to make your book a bestseller. And then they give you a contract. And the hope is that you're so excited to finally hear that which you've always wanted to hear, that you just sign the contract. without reading it carefully. And if you do read it carefully, the hope is is that you won't understand it and that you'll be more interested in looking like you understand the contract than you do in actually understanding the contract. One of the best defenses against this kind of unscrupulous person is to just ask a lot of questions about the contract before signing it. Contracts can be tricky. And many of them are structured in a way to make it hard for you to ever escape. For instance, if you're always getting paid now for work you do in the future, you have to keep committing to more work in the future to keep paying the bills today, which makes it very difficult to ever do or go anywhere else. So become the kind of person who reads the contract before signing it. Read the fine print. Ask questions. Educate yourself about taxes, business, and money. And yes, this is where our course comes in. And part of the reason why I'm giving it for free to all of the patrons, the school of hard knocks is not the place you want to learn these kinds of lessons. And I'll say getting a literary agent, while it helps, it's not a silver bullet to solving this problem, partly because some agents are con artists. Anyone can call themselves a literary agent. So that person presenting himself as an agent may simply be after your money. Other agents, while being good-hearted, are also not very talented. So you don't just want to read the fine print. You also want to do your own research. Reputable agents either publish or are willing to share their client lists. And if you're offered a contract from a literary agent, reach out to some of their authors and ask if they would recommend their agent to you. Some agents are absolute gems, and that's the kind you want to find. (laughs) I have talked with authors over my 10 years in this industry, 15 years in this industry, who absolutely adore their agent. They've been with the same agent sometimes for decades, and their agent is their very favorite person in the whole industry. I've also talked with authors who feel like their agent is the number one person holding them back. So you don't want that kind of agent. And sometimes all you have to do to save yourself from years of heartache is to have one or two conversations with some other authors about their agent. As Tim Ferriss says, a person's success in life can usually be measured by the number of uncomfortable conversations he or she is willing to have. Now, if you're indie published, you won't be working with an agent, but there are a lot of companies who will, quote, make it easy for you to get published, unquote. Self-publishing through Amazon is not hard. Any company offering to make it easy is often just inserting themselves in between you and the money and you and the decisions. Millions of people have figured out how to self-publish their own book directly through Amazon. It's not hard. Many of those people are not as bright as you are. The companies offering to make it easy are just typically taking a piece of the pie without offering much in return. 
So going with a hybrid publisher can make sense if you only want to publish one book and you're not really trying to turn this into a career. But if you want to be a professional indie author, you need to learn how to actually independently publish your book. And I have a bunch of episodes walking you through that. I have a whole category of indie publishing episodes here on the podcast that you can listen to for free. Mistake number two is not keeping a budget. Many people believe that a budget means spending as little money as possible. This is not what a budget is. A budget means deciding how to spend your money before you spend it. It also helps you determine when you can afford something. For some, this means at the beginning of the month, you take all of your money from your paycheck and you put it into different envelopes for different categories. For others, it means a spreadsheet. And for others, it means using a website like mint.com or YNAB. YNAB stands for youneedabudget.com. And these websites automatically pull in your debit card and credit card transactions and your bank account transactions and put them into categories. I like this kind of website because it makes it really easy. But it doesn't really matter how you run the budget because that's not really the point. The point is that you decide in the calmness of your own home how you're going to spend your money and not in front of the table where on the other side is sitting a pushy salesperson or in the aisle of a store with all those flashing graphics. One benefit of keeping a budget is that it keeps you away from the question, will spending money on X help my writing career? Because the answer is pretty much always yes, even if it only helps you a little bit. The real question is, what will give me the best return? So the question like, should I put this money in the advertising envelope or in the education envelope? which is more helpful for me right now? The answer to that question will depend. It depends on where you are in your career. Earlier in your career, you want to spend more money on education. Later in your career, you want to spend more money on advertising. Plus, the more books you have published, the better of a return you get on your advertising because each book you advertise helps sell the other books you've written. Keeping a budget forces you to think through that question with all of the options in front of you. Another benefit of keeping a budget is that it can help you with your marriage. (laughs) You writing a book requires a lot of sacrifices from your spouse. You will be around less as you write your book, and you will need to spend some money getting your writing career off the ground. And there's a reason why spouses tend to feature prominently in the acknowledgement sections of books. (laughs) Very rarely do I ever see a book without a spouse acknowledged unless there is no spouse. So don't sacrifice your marriage to write a book. Putting together a budget can instigate helpful conversations (laughs) with your spouse. If you both agree on the big picture budget, you don't need to nickel and dime your husband or wife with every little writing expense that comes up. When my wife and I went through pre-marriage counseling, we had homework. We had to put together a budget and we're still running a version of that budget today. You know, it's changed quite a bit with a three-year-old, a two-year-old and a baby We spend far more money on diapers than I ever thought was possible. (laughs) We basically have a line item just for diapers in the budget. We get a a care package from Amazon once a month with a mountain of diapers that somehow we use every single month. (laughs) Uh, I do love having children. I love my children, but I do not love their diapers. (laughs) Anyway, I realize every marriage is different, and I'm no marriage guru. I haven't been married that long. But one thing I have heard from old married couples, and you probably heard the same, is that communication is key to any long-lasting relationship. So creating and updating a budget is a tool to help facilitate communication. It helps you have a specific conversation. And the budget, in some ways, the real benefit is that it's evidence that a beneficial conversation 
took place. And it allows you to talk through issues that may come up in the future before they turn into crises. I have a couple episodes to help with budgeting. One is how to launch your book on a budget, and the other is where to spend your marketing dollars. In that episode, I walk through the various expenses that you have as an author, when to spend money on what and how much. Mistake number three is assuming you are not eligible for tax deductions. Businesses in the United States and in most common law countries get to deduct their expenses. And you may be like, but I'm not a business. Well, actually, you might be. In fact, in the Tax and Business Guide for Authors, we have a whole section to talk about whether or not the government sees you as a hobbyist or as a business. And if you are indeed a business, there are a bunch of tax deductions that you can take advantage of. Now, I'm not a CPA, so I do encourage you to go through the course, become a patron, listen to the course for free, or talk with an actual CPA. But I will have a link to a page on the IRS website uh, that talks about the difference between a hobbyist and a professional. And I have some of those questions here. I'll go through them very quickly just to get you an idea of how the IRS looks at this topic. So the questions are, does the time and effort put into the activity indicate an intention to make a profit? So are you writing a book because you want to make money, right? If you're hoping to make money in the future, that helps you look more like a business. Does the taxpayer depend on income from the activity? And if there are losses, are they due to circumstances beyond the taxpayer's control? Or did they occur in the startup phase of the business? In other words, Are you using your writing to help pay the bills or do you plan to? Uh, If you need help making money now, we actually have an episode on that. Uh, We also have a whole section of the course on how you can start making money before your first book comes out. So I encourage you uh, to listen to that section of the course. You can also listen to my free episode. Yes, you can make a living as a writer. Here's how, because it is important to bring in some income if you want to look like a business. Has the taxpayer changed methods of operation to improve profitability? In other words, are you investing in continuing education to get better as an author and to better market your books? Does the taxpayer or his or her advisors have knowledge needed to carry on the activity as a successful business? So in other words, are you working with a professional editor, cover designer, etc.? Right? Hiring professionals to work with you makes you look more like a business. Doing it all yourself makes you look more like a hobbyist. Has the taxpayer made a profit in similar activities in the past? Have you been successful as an author in the past? You don't have to be successful right away. No business is successful on day one, but it does help you look more like a business the more successful you are. Does the activity make a profit in some years, right? No company makes money all the time and no company makes money right up front, right? Amazon lost money for 10 or 15 years before they ever turned a profit. So the IRS looks at all these factors together. And so you don't have to be profitable to be a business, obviously, (laughs) but it does help if you have a plan to become profitable in the future, right? Bad times come, right? If we're in a recession and no businesses are profitable, it doesn't mean that they all suddenly turn into hobbies or into nonprofits, even if they're not making a profit. (laughs) I've worked in companies that joked that they were a nonprofit enterprise uh, because the finances were so bad. And then the final question is, can the taxpayer expect to make a profit in the future from the appreciation of assets used in the activity? I don't know if this question is particularly helpful for authors because writing books is an asset light activity, but you are creating an intellectual property asset when you write a book. And there is an expectation to make money from that intellectual property asset. So 
I think it helps. The more books you write <laughs> probably helps with this factor. So I do encourage you to read the IRS page on this. I encourage you to talk with a CPA. I'm not trying to replace that, but I'm trying to help you think through. You may be listening to these questions. And you're like, I'm doing most of that. Or I'm doing all of that. So there's there may be a good chance you're already eligible for tax deductions, which leads us to our next mistake. Mistake number four, not tracking expenses. If you indeed are a professional author in the eyes of the government, your business expenses may be tax deductible. This can include things like writer's conferences, the laptop you write on, writing software like Scrivener or Atticus, publishing costs, advertising, and more. And in the course, we talk about 19 different tax deductions authors can easily take advantage of. But you can't take advantage of expenses that you're not tracking. And if you are not yet a business in the eyes of the government, it's still beneficial to track your expenses so you can see if you're staying within your budget, right? Because creating your first budget, you're kind of doing it from scratch. But over time, you update your budget based off of what happened in the last month. So like, for instance, my budget for fuel and car expenses has gone up quite a bit because gas has gone up. So we've had to make other changes to the budget to accommodate that. Mistake number five is related as well, and it's not keeping work and play separate. It's impossible to unscramble scrambled eggs. If you commingle your business and your personal financial activity, you're making a mess for yourself to clean up later. For many authors, the mess is so overwhelming, they just don't bother with it and end up paying more than their fair share in taxes. You may be like, well, what's the big deal about paying more than your fair share in taxes? Well, this means less money for marketing and promotion, which means fewer books sold and ultimately less influence on the world. And so if only there was an easy way to help keep the business and personal separate. Well, there is. It's called a bank account. <laughs> it actually doesn't even cost you any money. I recommend that you have a bank account for your writing-related income and expenses and a separate bank account for paying groceries and taking your salary from your day job, etc. And adding a second bank account for most banks doesn't cost you any money doesn't cost them any trouble to create it for you. And they're happy for you to have another bank account with them. You don't have to create an entity. You don't have to be a business yet in the eyes of the IRS to have a separate bank account. It's just a very easy way to keep things separate. A couple tips, though. I do recommend that the new account come with its own debit card. So you can easily pay for your writing expenses with that debit card. Because I don't think you can pay for Atticus with a check. I don't think you can pay... For Scrivener with the check, but you can with the debit card. You also want to make sure that you can transfer money between accounts without being charged a fee, right? So early on in your writing career, you're going to be transferring money from your family bank account into the writing bank account to cover your upfront costs. And you'll get some nice losses that deduct your taxes, right? If you're a business and that can be helpful on tax day. And then as you find success, as you start publishing books, the money will start flowing in the other direction. The farm of your writing career will start to produce fruit and you'll start paying for family expenses with the money from your writing. It typically only takes a few minutes to set up a new bank account, especially if it's with the bank you already use because they already have all your information on file. These few minutes can save you from dozens of hours of stressful hassle down the road. So do this now. Don't wait. Having a separate bank account for the expenses is a good idea even if your writing is still technically a hobby. And if you're with a bank that charges you money to set up a second account with them, it may be a sign you need to find a better bank. <laughs> there are a lot of good banks out there. There's a lot of terrible banks out there. I'm not here to recommend a bank 
But that is a sign of, of kind of a predatory bank, I would say, or they charge you lots of fees because all an additional bank account is for them is a few lines in their database. Mistake number six is waiting till the last minute to form an LLC. Most authors end up with an LLC to protect them from liability and to help keep business and personal finances even more separate. And sometimes there are tax reasons to form an LLC. And this is true for traditionally published authors and for indie authors. And I'll say every single New York Times bestselling author I've worked with has had an either an LLC or some kind of similar entity. Sometimes they have multiple entities. And this is with them being traditionally published. It's also common for foreign authors to create a U.S.-based LLC to receive the U.S. dollars and pay their U.S. expenses. This can often save them a lot of money and hassle than bringing that money across the border going both ways. They can also get beaten up on sometimes on tariffs or exchange rates. So local traditional authors often end up with an LLC. Foreign authors often end up with an LLC. And of course, indie authors end up often very soon with an LLC because they have a lot of earlier expenses and they also have a greater exposure to liability. Traditional authors have some liability protection in that they're joined with a very powerful publishing company. And often the author getting sued also means the publishing company getting sued. And there's a fear that these big publishing companies have very mean and angry lawyers that will defend the author in a lawsuit, which is not a unreasonable fear. (laughs) So if you're indie, you don't have the big gorilla of the publishing company watching your back. So that's something to keep in mind. Now, you have to create the LLC now if you want the liability protection now. So it's kind of like insurance, right? It doesn't You can't buy fire insurance after your house burns down. You have to buy it before your house burns down. So don't wait to the last minute to form an LLC. Uh, the government doesn't work very fast. There are, there are ways to expedite the process, but they're expensive and stressful. And why? <laughs> you could save yourself that time and that money by forming the LLC sooner rather than later. That said, you may not need an LLC yet. If you're just in the hobbyist stage, you're really early on, you're just doing a work in progress, you're not really working with professionals yet, you're not working with editors yet, uh, you don't have a lot of money going in and out, you may not need the LLC. And again, we talk about this kind of when to figure out when you need the LLC in the course, the Tax and Business Guide for Authors. And I also have an episode on it, the Author's Guide to LLCs. And I'll have a link to that free episode in the show notes. Mistake number seven is not having a business plan. Authors who fail to plan, plan to fail. A good plan will help you avoid costly and expensive mistakes, the kind of mistakes that can torpedo your career. A business plan can call for you to lose money during the startup phase of your career and then to make money later on. This can help satisfy one of the criteria that the IRS is looking at and help you set realistic expectations for yourself and for your spouse, right? This is not a get-rich-quick industry. (laughs) This is a do five years of work getting better at being an author and learning how to build a platform and learning how to connect with readers, and then you start to bring in some income. Most professional authors take losses for at least the first five years. It's not uncommon for them to take losses for the first 10 years of writing. It's It's net losses. So typically, authors, they're just straight up losing money or spending money for the first couple of years. If you go through my episode on how you can start making money now, you can start bringing in an income. Sometimes, depending on how much of that you do, your income can exceed your expenses right away, especially if your expenses are low. But in other instances, uh, it just helps offset the expenses. And it's not until your books start being published that the real money starts coming in. 
So you got to sow before you reap. And this is true of pretty much every business, right? That takes time to make money. So make sure your plan accounts for that. If you're traditional publishing, your book proposal is basically a business plan without a budget. So business plans always have a budget section. So you'll need to add the budget section. You'll also need to generalize it. A business plan's not on a specific product. So you are the business, your book is the product. So take your book proposal and apply it to you as the author rather than the book specifically. And you've got the business plan. You've already done most of the work. But if you're indie publishing, you're going to have to build your business plan from scratch. And this is a pretty crucial step. And if you really want to make your writing a career, if you really do want to support your family with your writing, taking a short break from your work in progress to write a business plan could save your career before it even starts. It doesn't have to take long, and it will give you much better focus and vision. Let me give you a quick summary of kind of what goes into a business plan. You can see this listed at authormedia.com slash 327 for episode 327. The first section is the executive summary. You write that last. It's kind of a quick summary for the rest of it. The next is a company description. This is where you describe what the company is and what it does. So remember, you are the company. Your books are your products. You may also sell some services like editing or consulting to other authors. Next is the section called market analysis. This is where you talk about your customers, a.k.a. your readers. It's also where you might talk about your competitors. Who's going to read your books? Who else writes books and makes entertainment for your target readers? The next section is team. It takes a team to publish a book. You may need a cover designer, an editor, a narrator, or an assistant, not to mention a CPA, a lawyer, and all the other things. So you don't need to know their names necessarily, and you may not need to hire all of those roles, but you do need to think through who you're going to need on your team. A literary agent, for instance, if you're traditionally publishing. If you are traditionally publishing, some of the people on your team will be selected by your publisher and paid by your publisher. If you're indie, it's up to you to find good people and to pay them what they're worth. (laughs) The next section is products and services. So as an author, you have both products and services. This is where you're going to talk about your genre and what kind of books you write. And hopefully you know your genre before you're writing your book. This isn't a business mistake. It's a writing mistake. But one I see often as an author writes the book and then tries to figure out what genre it fits in. This is a very bad sign that the book is not going to sell well. You want to know what the genre expectations are of the reader before you write the books so that you write the kind of book that they actually want to read. This is also where you can talk about the other services that you may be offering, like doing voiceover work, reading other authors' audiobooks, or consulting, or editing, or being a virtual assistant. Being a virtual assistant is a really good way to supplement your income as an author because not only do you make money, but you're also learning about the industry. So it's a win-win in many ways. And the next section of the business plan is marketing and sales. This is your marketing plan. You know, how do you plan to get strangers to want to buy your book? This is the sort of thing we talk about a lot on the Novel Marketing Podcast. The next section is funding. So in a lot of traditional business plans, this is a big section because they need a lot of money. But you have an advantage. All you need is a laptop and a good idea and some training. (laughs) It doesn't cost a lot of money to be an author, but you are going to need some funding. So this is where you say, hey, I'm setting aside this amount of money to help get my career up off the ground. And then the next section is financial projections. So how do you plan to make money as an author? When do you plan to make money as an author? And again, I have that episode. Yes, you can make a living as an author. Here's how. It's very popular episode. And this is also where you make it really clear. Hey, 
I'm not expecting to make a lot of money in the early years. That's okay. That doesn't disqualify you. Don't think, oh, I haven't made any money yet as an author. That means I must not be a professional author. No, not true. <laughs> no author makes money right away. And remember, your business plan doesn't need to be fancy. You're not presenting this to investors. The purpose of the plan is more to help you think through these questions before they become problems. And I have a whole module on creating business plans in the Tax and Business Guide for authors. So for those of you who are patrons, you get it for free. You can watch those videos. I even have a template for indie authors. It walks you through. You can just download that template. It's a Word doc. You fill in the gaps. Boom. Business plan is done. So don't forget, we have a patrons-only live Q&A session with my dad, Tom Umstadt, CPA, on June 30th, 2022. So if you become a patron before then, you not only have access to the live Q&A webinar, but you also get a free copy of the course, The Tax and Business Guide for Authors. And in that course, you'll learn how to qualify for tax deductions for your writing-related expenses and about 19 different tax deductions that you can take advantage of. You'll also learn how to start making money even before your first book comes out you will learn business fundamentals like when and how to form an LLC, how to create a business plan, and how to reduce your chances of being audited by the IRS, and so much more. And you can become a patron at authormedia.com patron. And if you already are a patron and you want to get your free copy of the course, just go to authormedia.com patron. It will redirect you to patreon.com, the correct page on patreon.com. And for those of you listening in the future and you're like, I missed it, don't worry. We'll have a recording of that Q&A session as a part of the course moving forward. And there'll also be a patrons-only discount on the course of some kind. You'll still have to pay for it, but it won't be full price. But again, I encourage you, if you can, come to the live Q&A. It'll be much more fun if you can come live and you can ask your own questions of my dad. Speaking of patrons, our featured patron is Jennifer Lamont Leo, author of The Rose Keeper. During the Great Depression, a spoiled socialite must suddenly find a way to support herself and her child. Can she turn a homemade recipe for skin tonic into a livelihood? Sounds like uh, this fictional character could benefit from my business plan, of course. That sounds like a challenge she's facing. uh, And she's got uh, she's on the clock because she's got to make it be a livelihood uh, right away. A quick personal update. My newborn is learning to crawl and it's, it's really fun to watch Jack. He's. Five months old, going to be turning six months old soon. He can get up on his hands and his knees and kind of wobbles back and forth. And then he'll surge forward, kind of landing on his chin. This is not good crawling technique, but from his perspective, he is thrilled. He sees his older siblings moving all around him and he wants to be able to move. And now he can move even if only a little bit. And he's so happy. He's so thrilled to be able to move on the ground. And so much of life is like this, right? You can focus on all of what you haven't learned yet, right? He's not really crawling and he's definitely not walking, but he's just happy that he was stuck in one spot and now he can scooch forward ever so slowly. And if we are more like this with our learning and we celebrate the small victories we've already had, rather than focusing on how much more we have to learn, I think we'll both learn faster and be happier, right? Because there's always more to learn. But we've already learned something. Hopefully you've learned something from this episode, right? You know a little bit more than you did before. Sometimes you just learned what questions to ask. And that's a huge step forward. So often people get in trouble because they didn't even know what questions to ask. So 
Celebrate your small victories. Be like my six-month-old. <laughs> Our producer today is Lori Christine. This episode's audio was edited by William Umstadt, and the blog post version is crafted by me. To read the blog version of this episode, visit authormedia.com slash 327. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr. saying thank you for listening and live long and prosper.